So I think this is an era where more entrepreneurs need to be born. People need to learn to discover what more can they do to increase their own living. So the quicker every person listening to this podcast or other podcasts out there learn to actually start to increase their income, build their own economy and stop waiting for handouts, the better. The handouts meaning, oh, the government is going to give me a house to live in. They're giving you a house to live in because they want to keep you small. In 2012, I said to my wife, I feel like the entrepreneurship in me is dying. Dr. Daniel Moses, an entrepreneur born in Nigeria, started his career in Nigeria. But what do you do when you get knocked down a couple of times? Here's a guy who had to escape Nigeria to avoid the gang culture that's building up around him, who then started a business in oil and gas back in Nigeria, to only off the back of an accident to lose it all and be on the verge of bankruptcy, to come back to the UK, to start from the ground up, being an Uber driver to put food on the table, eventually becoming a leader in the property sector and now helps others make money and build up their own fortunes and be in charge of their own destiny through investment in property portfolios. My name's Richard Osborne and this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. Learning about yourself mm. uh, and preparing for you coming visiting us today, the I thought uh, as I was sort of listening to some previous podcasts that, and, and TV interviews that you've taken part in, the your journey into property is and i would say very inspirational particularly yeah. at some of sort of the bumps you've had along the road if i say that yeah. uh, because your persistence in keeping going uh, particularly when things uh, hit a low ebb is something which many people i suppose it'd be part of the reason why statistically they'll always throw this banner around that half businesses at start fail within the first year and I know that uh, a mind, sort of having a very disciplined mindset around that is something that's very important to you. Uh, how would you describe your mindset and determination just generally that keeps you going at that point? The only thing I knew was I'm going to become an entrepreneur today and I'll be successful tomorrow. What I did not know is that there are bumpy roads. It's a continuous roller coaster. It's a continuous reinventing yourself as the head of your organization. It's you going through highs and lows and accepting that it was normal. You see, you don't learn anything when you start a business today and it explodes tomorrow and all well and good and you're making so much money. And this is why one of the reasons where you see a lot of entrepreneurs, they start a business just like the lottery winner. They win a lottery today and then tomorrow, they, it's, it's, they're completely wiped out because they did, they did not go through the trials, the tribulations, the adversity and all of this. And in business, you're going to have two types of adversity. You're going to have personal adversity, just your personal challenge as a human being, as the leader, as the head of your organization. And you're going to have your business challenges, which is running your team, system, softwares, upgrade, continuously driving that force behind the organization. So for me, looking back now, 20 years later, I realized what's happened to me is that I've just been learning. I've been going through that learning stage 
I'm in my early 40s. You know, some people would break through in their early 20s, early 30s in businesses. But looking back at my early 40s and every single adversity I've been through, I realized that it is what makes you a strong entrepreneur. So what was it about the word entrepreneur that you just now you decided, right, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be an entrepreneur today and I'll make a success tomorrow. The what was it that made you want to take that path? So the reason why I took the path of being an entrepreneur started as a very young age, goes all the way back when, when I was, you know, back home in my home country, Nigeria. So I have brothers, cousins, way back, they, they used to ship, you know, used goods, you know, from Europe, you know. Yeah. They ship all these different kind of used things, used microphones, fridges, televisions, and all these things and sell it back to Nigeria. And particularly, there's something to call non-tested electronic goods. So basically, you sell a non-tested electronic, whether it works or not, to <laughs> someone in Nigeria. And they buy it. If it doesn't work, they take it to the electrical uh, uh, electrician shops to yeah. fix it. So in Nigeria, you don't really re- you don't really replace things to brand new. You repair them. So you have a lot of people that can repair a mic that is broken completely, and it works again. So at a very young age, that was what I learned. I learned to be able to sell whether it was working or not working. And I sold that for a living. So I always traded that and I made money and I made money. And then when I was in university, and that's exactly what I continued whilst I was in university. So I would sell all these different things, air conditioning, you know, um, uh, fridges, you know, microwaves, cars, used clothes, because this, you know, my family members used to bring all these things to Nigeria. So used clothes, you know, we will, I, I would sell all these things. So I became very famous. You know, you know, in my little state where I'm from, a state, Nigeria. That's what I did. So at that time, it was like side hustling. It wasn't. I didn't really understand the true meaning of you know entrepreneurship, but I realized that that is what actually gave birth to me yeah. being an entrepreneur. And as I went through life till today, I discovered actually that's what gave birth to the entrepreneur that I am now. Is that what you wanted to bring into the UK, to come into the UK and start a business from day one in the UK when you moved over yeah, here? So I became a, um, a victim. So at the mm. time I was selling things, I would sell things to people that didn't pay me in time. Mm. I would sell things to people that didn't basically, you know, promise to, they promised to pay me later. And some of these guys were members of different rivalry groups in campus, which is normal in universities in Nigeria, rivalry groups, gangs, and all of these things. And I remember sometimes I'll go and meet these people who have sold things to, to pay me what they owe me. And I will be beaten up. I will be slapped. I will be kicked just for asking for, can I get my money back? And it got really, really bad that at some point in my life, I said, for how long am I going to keep, you know, trying to get my money when these people don't you want to pay you can't report the case to the police if you if you do and you're caught you'll probably be killed so the only solution is you become a member of these guys so at that time i had to become a member of them to protect my business and to protect myself so i bought of that pressure and i became a member of the gang so at this time around i'm able to now sell so people can't just you know when i sell things to people now knowing that they know okay this guy's you know is, is part of another you know you know uh, a member of a different you know community uh, you know in the gang in the university now i got paid 
But neither did I know that actually when you become a member of the gang, actually, you've just signed your own death warrant, which means you can actually just be killed like that because they could obtain you, the word obtaining, you know, they, obtaining means taking things from you, you know, harshly, whilst you were a non-member, they wouldn't kill you. But if you now become a member, when there is a war on campus, you know, you are a target not to be obtained, but a target to be shot. And that was what happened. So for me, that was what led me to like, no, I didn't see this coming. I've got to leave this country. That seems so difficult to comprehend. Like you're a young person making, trying to sort of make your way financially. Yes. Um, getting yourself, you know, just getting your foot on the ladder in business and growing. So you're, you're within a university environment. So many people we know within the UK that 10,000 uh, from research we've done, 10,000 people of a that age or younger in the UK start their own businesses The uh, each and every year. I can't even comprehend somebody within a UK university or college trying to get a business started or even just not going to college and their life is on the line in that yeah. kind of environment just so that they can get paid. Yeah. People turn around and say cash is king in your business. Yes. But that's taking it to a whole new level. Yeah. It, 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 it was very difficult because way back where I am from in Nigeria, I'm from the southern part of Nigeria, Edo State to be precise. You know, I mean, looking at back 20 years now, a lot of people, one of my best friend, Dennis, was killed. You know, my best friend, Dennis, was killed. And I, that's not in the book, by the way, but that's what killed him. That's shocking to hear. You, is it fair to say, though, that when you landed on UK shores, you was landing at a very bottom level, effectively, um, whoever could put you up on their couch? Coming to the United Kingdom, like nobody, the only knew three people when I got here within the first couple of months. I only knew one person initially, but through that one person, I met people, acquaintances, gradually. But I slept on the floor you know, in one of my friend's room, you know, and I used to wash, you know, be the guy, I basically have to wash the room, wash the shoes, you know, clear the house. That was my own way of contributing, you know, being loyal so I can have somewhere to sleep. He fed me, you know, and I remember those days when I first came here, after the first one or two weeks, you know, just even having to have chicken at some time was, was quite challenging, you know, and, uh, it was a very difficult situation because it's something I've never used to. I spoke in a different way. I understood English language in a very different way. I spoke English language in a very different way as well. And just being around that small community of just small Nigerians and everybody was just focused on just living life to survive. So you would find within that little Nigeria community, as I grew to know many other people, some of them didn't have legal resident permit, so they work illegally. So some of them didn't have source of earnings. You name it, all sort of ways just to survive. Yeah. And that is exactly what I met here. When I came here, I did not know enough Nigerians that drove a car until I think if I was right, about six months later, when I started going to the church, that I'll see some Nigerian has cars. Okay, that's fine, but most people, they work overnight. You they come back and they're all drained. That was how my journey began in the UK. Okay. And, and how did you manage to uh, like, p 
put food on the table. What was what was some of your first jobs effectively to pay the bills? Interestingly, I used to do a job called Peke. Yeah. All right. And I actually share this in my book as well. So Peke was a job that basically if you go to a nightclub, I don't know if they still exist these days because I don't really go club anymore. So when you go nightclubs, you see a guy with a lolly, stick of lollipop with a perfume and you, you you take a lollipop from him, you spray perfume, you, you spray his perfume, you give him a yeah. pound 50p, you know, yeah. obviously times have changed and maybe people are giving notes now, but back in those days is contactless. <laughs> <laughs> so these days now, so you know, you give him a 50p, 20p and just grab a lollipop. Not yeah. just that, would you, you know, I was in the toilet doing that kind of job as well. Um, you know, from someone who was already doing business and I was surviving and I was making good money way back in Nigeria, it was it was very unbearable, but I'm here now. What do I have to do? I'm, am I going to go back to Nigeria within a couple of days or weeks to get killed? That was the that was the mindset. What did you do next? The, the fact is, you know, looking back 20 years now, everything I've been through makes sense to me. But when I was going through them, it didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, it was just more like I hated myself every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like myself. I hated myself. But I think hope, hope yeah. kept me alive. Hope rejuvenated my mindset. Oh, one day is going to pass. One day I'm going to be great. One day Dr. Daniel Moses, I wasn't a doctor then. Daniel Moses is going to be wealthy. Daniel Moses is going to be able to inspire life. One day I'm going to be able to tell the story. One day I'm going to be... So what I didn't realize was I was actually affirming that at that time I was going through all these different things that, oh, there is light at the end of this tunnel. So for me, I, it was, I was very hopeful that, you know, before success, all right, you will go through roller coasters or roller coasters or roller coasters. I did not know these things at that time because now I read a book by Brian Tracy. It says success, every successful people that you meet today they built a mountain and mountain of struggles and failures of roller coaster to become the greatest version of themselves. So at the time I was going through all of these things, the only thing that kept me going was hope. Hope is good um, because if you don't, if you're not hopeful, you're just going to be depressed. You're not going yeah. to take it yeah. forward. So yeah, but the surely you actually got to take a positive action to to get yourself out of that hole because. Yeah. It's not going to be handed to you on a plate. Yeah. Um, what was your deciding action um, at that point? Because it took, uh, at some point eventually, it took you back to Nigeria, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. You only lose when you stop working, when you stop taking action. So for me, the steps was, regardless of the fact that I had hope to be the next thing, but I realized I had to keep pushing through the pain. I had to keep pushing through the pressure. I had to keep taking one step at a time because yes hope enough hope alone is not enough to get you to your point of desire but actions and building that consistency you know on a daily basis is what allows you to win as an entrepreneur so the ability to ship those things back to Nigeria make some profit and come back do the same thing and just going through in between and you know was what literally helped me through those times you had some very ambitious plans yeah Next, um, what were those? And I think one of the one of the things that's also gotten me through is I learned a lot to talk to myself. So sometimes I talk to myself so mad that my wife think, "Are you okay?" And I said, "No, I'm just talking to myself." 
So I started to have the biggest conversation with myself. Oh, Daniel, you're going to be great. Daniel, one day, you know, you're going to sit with kings. One day, Daniel, you're going to sit, sit with rulers of nations. And I affirmed this out of my subconscious mind, you know, without even, because I wasn't into self-development. I wasn't into any sort of personal development. I'd never had mentors, yeah. you know, until about five, six years, 2016, I started having mentors. So, I mean, for me as a Nigerian in the United Kingdom, there's a lot that when we come from nations like the third world countries like Nigeria, into, even till today, we go through this massive roller coaster, you know, and I just really want to, you know, big, you know, kind of give a massive shout out to every single immigrant, whether Nigeria, Sudan, wherever you've come from and you decide to make it big in life. I just want to say, you know, keep keep doing it and, you know, congratulations on your successes because it's hard. It's hard when you come to a new terrain, a new culture, a new way of life and to still keep pushing through your pain to become the greatest version of yourself. So for me, going through those adversities kept me going and I said, I will make it. So what changed for me was when I met my wife. I met my wife in 2000 and uh, I think from right around about a year plus you later. You've got to get this date right. You've got to get this date right. <laughs> I met my wife in, you know, in, in, in 2000 and, you know, 2005. So when I met my wife, I met my wife in a bus. I actually also tell the story in my new book, The Test. Everything just changed. And I still remember till today, the moment she walked through the bus and carrying so many bags and sitting down. And I just said, that's the woman. And the moment I met my wife, we started dating not too long after that. And then we, I proposed to her, we got married within a very short space of time, six months, we got married. So the, the moment I was able to go through the adversity, settled down in the UK with my wife. Now we have a family and I'm able to kind of go back and forth from London to Nigeria. I'm going to say exactly as it is, my life was a mess. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting, so it's almost like you get one little success, you take five steps backwards. You get one little success, you get two backwards. And that was what was happening. So 2000, 2012, I said to my wife, I feel like the entrepreneurship in me is dying. I'm not able to do business the way I want to. I'm struggling with knowing people. I'm struggling expanding my network. I'm st struggling different things. I'm not able to assess the kind of money I, I need. Let me go back home. Everybody was telling me in Nigeria, there's two types of oil and gas. Uh, there's two types of sectors in the oil and gas industry, actually. Uh, you have the upper stream and you have the lower stream. So the upper stream is the likes of the shares, you know, the, uh, the B, B, you know, BP, the AP, big brands, the big brands. So that's the upper, upper, upper stream oil and gas. Yeah. So they do the, 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 the exportation, the refinery and all of that. The lower stream is the retailing. So where, for example, petrol stations, petrol stations, supplies, logistics, and all of that. So that's the downstream. Yeah. And there was also a lot of money in the downstream. And the reason why there was a lot of money in the downstream is because you can go to the refinery in Nigeria or the depots and you can, you know, you can pay some money and they can give you supplies and you can supply it to a petrol station. So if you buy it, if you buy it for like a pound, you can actually supply it to a petrol station for three pounds and you can make two pound margin. And plus, you can also make another three pound margin from the transportation. So it's, it's very lucrative. So I started moving petroleum products from these different, you know, from 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 the depots to supply to the uh, to, so, to, to so retailers. I'm thinking in my mind here, like tanker lorries. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, and, and I started moving those tank lorries with petroleum products. I started doing that. And life was, life for the first time since I first came to the UK, I felt on top of the mountain. I felt like, whoa, how come I did not know this all <laughs> my life? How come I did not? So I was enjoying the money. Everything was good. I was able to travel from Nigeria back to the UK, from UK back to Nigeria. I was able to move around. Now, one of the days in 2015, late 2015, I received a phone call from one of my drivers. Two of my petroleum tankers, all right, loaded in excess of over 100,000 liters, all right? So we have 60, we have 65,000 liters. So in Nigeria, we have different types of tankers capacity. Yeah. So two of them go into the northern part of Nigeria, run into each other, somersaulted into a ditch or a valley, whatever we want to call that. Now, the weeks before, our insurance policy had expired. We had that major explosion, got burst into flame. I lost all my money, lost my trankers. Thank God nobody died. Thank God, you know, nobody died. Now, I'm in a loss. I'm in pain. I'm in shock. Okay, what do we do? Let's go back to the books. It's just like a, like a click of a it's finger. Like, like, like that. Like just... that. And, and everything basically ruined. Um, how did you, what was your first instincts and what were the first things you did from getting that phone call? What happened next? I think the next morning I felt like I was going to die. Having the most success I've ever had in my journey as an entrepreneur, a young, very young man, two lovely kids, wife here in the UK, mortgage to pay in the UK, you know, being able to travel back and forth. At that point in my life, I just felt like, this that's it. Entrepreneurship is not for me. Business is not for me. That's just how I felt. And... I remember basically just for weeks not being able to eat properly, drink properly, and just wondering, you know, what what next? What do I do? Like I had a brain freeze, like what do I do? You know, what every day was every day the question was what do I do? You know, insurance policy was expired a couple of weeks before. Now, I learned a lot of lessons. One of the biggest lessons that I learned is that in your, you have a starting phase of a business. Mm. You have a growth state of a business. You have a scaling phase of your business. Obviously, I didn't know any of this in 2015. But looking back, when you are an entrepreneur at the growth stage of a business, micromanage everything. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is why they say most businesses fail yeah. within the first one year. In fact, statistics have shown to us that 50% of new businesses actually collapse within the first one year. Yeah. And then you then have a certain different percentage that goes into their first five years. Then if you survive your fifth year, yeah. that's when you can actually call yourself a it's business. It's a really long tail if you look at the graphs. It's, you've got this, the first, first year, huge number of drop off. Year two comes down a bit. 
and the, it sort of dr- plummets within the first five years and then you've got a really long tail exactly yeah. as you say make it past your fifth year you're in the absolute minority of successful businesses that are still going so looking back as an entrepreneur the road to being a successful entrepreneur is it, not an easy one but one of the things that i learned from this is the mindset to always reinvent yourself adapt remap and build a strong resilience level the um what i found uh, really uh inspiring to see um is that as you hit that point as you your business that you'd built up and was doing really well um just dis- just disappeared um it, through that disaster and it almost sunk you to bankruptcy yeah the you did what you had to do you took up uber driving um to get some money coming and just to just you you, going back to what we were saying earlier (laughs) you did what you had to To do do. yes uh you the i would go as far to say not too proud literally if if i needed to um take a job whatever it is that pays the mortgage and puts food on the table for me to rebuild from i will do it Yes, absolutely. That's what I did. So I, I remember telling my wife, I'm, I'm not going back to the UK. I'm not going back to Nigeria. I said, well, she, she asked, my wife literally asked me, I remember that Christmas, she asked me, what next? That was a question. Yeah. And I'm like, looking at her, I said, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to go and get a job. Yeah. And I remember January 2016, I got my first job with Yodel and I became a delivery driver. And that was enough to survive with towards yeah. the end of the year, towards the end of the January and that was enough. And then from there to Amazon, from Amazon to um, becoming an Uber driver. So by I think by May that year, I became an Uber driver. And then because I had a you know, significant lifestyle, because I, business was yeah. good previously, the pressure was even stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, it led to, it almost led to three divorce attempts yeah. between me and my wife because the pressure was just unrealistic. It was just absolutely insane. And driving for Uber 18 hours a day was, initially, it was good because I had to get out of the house for 18 hours a day. I literally got lost in the wheel. And I would drive and drive and drive, pick up the kids, drop them off, sleep for three, four hours, go back again. And at the time, Uber could allow you to drive 24 hours if you like it. And I had to do what I had to do. Because number one, I look at the face of my children and I'm like, number one, I'm doing this, not for me, I'm doing this for them. Because if my dad had done so much for me and I had a lot to inherit, probably I would not be doing this. So I don't want my kids to to wake up one day and they look at me like, oh, my dad didn't work hard for us. So for my kids, they kept me going. My kids kept me going. They were just, they just helped me go past that part because I had to go and work 18 hours to make sure mortgage was paid, council tax was paid. They had to go, you know, anything that they wanted I could provide. And I went through all of that. It was painful. It was it was really, really, really painful just knowing that you had built a business, employed people, and all of a sudden there was nothing else. And all I could look at is just stuck in the wheels every single day, you know, and then depression kicks in. I became depressed. Uh, and I remember going through depression, going through all different type of things. I started suffering from sleeping paralysis and I started suffering from, you know, almost wanting to 
it's a dark place when you have a lot of the people depending on you and the you feel that you're not doing you put the pressure on yourself to feel that you're not doing enough you should be doing better it's hard it's just hard when you are you know sometimes you start asking yourself why don't you just live a normal life mm. but if you have the hunger to be the greatest version of yourself it feels like you're doing yourself evil not actually taking the steps to wanting to be great to better yourself mm. you know because nobody told me to be an entrepreneur you know but I've never had a job proper job before so I'll be probably useless in the workspace so even if I was to go and you know become a you know a software tester or a business analyst because I'm not used to that it's going to take me so much and again I've more, I've always been the, on the school of thought do what you love it's only by doing what you love that you become successful so this is one of the reasons why you see some doctors they love being a doctor and they, they really excel then you have people who are doctors but they don't love being a doctor as well you have lawyers and the reason why people take a certain career and they excel is because they love it and the reason why people take a career and never excel is because they hated it because desire and passion is something that you can't take from someone when you have passion and you have desire and you love what you do and you bring it all together collaboratively, you become the greatest instrument for yourself. So what is it about doing what you enjoy that is that thing that you enjoy? I inspire hundreds and hundreds of people today who have heard my story. So I now have a massive, massive passion to using my story of whether it's true success I have achieved or whether how did I turn adversity into the success that I have today, which I've been, you know, I've been through over the last five, six years now, I've been consistent, is it's been able to just give advice to people and just like, listen, I say I'm of a school of thought that says never go to the wrong person for the right advice. Mm-hmm. Talking about passion and talking about that. So when it comes to the passion side is, it took me years to now understand I love this because the thing about entrepreneurs sometimes we're chasing money we're trying to be wealthy we're trying to be successful but what we're actually chasing is not the money it's actually finding our true purpose you like mentoring and helping people in that side and when I've looked at um, sort of as you've built your career the dare I say you've also identified there's a number of people who've come from similar backgrounds to yourself yes. who have come in this country and who are underrepresented within property. Yes. Uh, and it's been great to see how you help those people yeah. as well. Sell it to me. Yes. How you do it well. Well. And how, so, and by that, I mean <laughs> how you teach me well and support people ethically. Yes. Uh, in, um, in building financial uh, independence for themselves to take control of their destiny. I mean, for me, as I mentioned, if you notice throughout my conversation so far, and and if probably if you read more, you know of my of my new book, The Test, success is not overnight. No. You know, and I say, and I and I and I actually called this. I did a I did an interview the other day, and I said everybody thinking success is get rich quick should start debunking from it. Mm. In order for you to become 
a successful person? If I knew what I know now, when I started my journey as an entrepreneur, what is the one thing that I would have done differently? Number one, I would have to seek knowledge. The moment I think or thought I became knowledgeable, I would have set myself a five to 10 year plan. But I did not know that. So I was chasing, okay, entrepreneur is about making money, right? So at every given point in time, money rather, yes. Yeah. So I was chasing the money. So <clears throat> I'm selling things. I'm making profit. Going to oil and gas. I'm expanding. I'm chasing money. Right. I'm doing business, and yeah, everything is fine. All right. And then I had a crash. If I knew that knowledge was so important, first of all, knowledge will allow me to understand the importance of micromanaging things at the level of my business at that time. So let's bring this into property. Nobody ever got successful and wealthy in property in a year, in six months. Go and check anyone who has ever become wealthy in life. They don't talk about the achievements of success. You know, they're stable now for one year. It's all about, first of all, you being knowledgeable. You have to be knowledgeable of that industry. You have to know the ins, you have to know the out, you have to have the support system, you have to have the professionals who are going to be able to answer the questions that you need. So solicitors, accountants, tax advisors, all these different people, you have to have them all around you. And it takes a lot of work to put them in place. So why is what I do, for example, will help someone? Because I have that power team now. So when you plug into what I do, I'm not teaching you get rich quick. I'm teaching you get rich for sure. And I'm telling you, if you're like, I say this all the time. If you want to get rich, please don't come to my training. Don't come around me. But if you want me to help you set a five-year plan, let's work towards that five-year plan. I'm your guy. Because, yes, I see it all the time when people say, yeah, people are going to get into rent-to-rent HMOs, rent-to-rent service accommodation, and you're going to be wealthy tomorrow you're going to make money tomorrow again it's still the money selling concept the money selling concept is make two thousand pounds now today you're happy make two thousand pounds tomorrow you're happy what then happens to the next 10 months you don't make two thousand pounds how do you pivot how do you navigate how do you rock those very dirty bottom how do you do it because people don't understand the ability to reinvent, readjust, recreate. Because entrepreneurship is all about creativity, generating an income, creating stability, and floating rather than sinking. One of the things I learned during lockdown was how to float and not sink. In property, it's business. In property as a business, it's a profit and loss business, just like every other thing else. The only thing that keeps you above the water is because the liquidity is in an asset that appreciates value over time. So if you understand property in that concept that you can get in now, but as long as you can hold on to this 10 years, 20 years, that's where the real wealth is. That's where the real capital equity appreciation is. So people don't understand this. People think, okay, it's just about the cash flow in property, whether you're renting to rent someone's assets or whether you bought today and generating an income tomorrow. It's, yeah. all, it's all a myth. What is the truth is that it takes a long time. There is one of, there's an asset in my portfolio. In 1996, the asset was sold for 64,000 pounds in Bromley. Sold for 64,000 pounds. I then bought the same property 
all right, from, from whoever lived there for at least 20 years, all right, for 450,000 pounds. So 1996 to 2020, consider time there, yeah. and he sold for how much? 450,000 pounds. Today's market, the same property is now worth 1.1 million. Um, do you ever fear that the property um, sector in itself, the house prices, is unsustainable? Interestingly, I wouldn't say it's unsustainable uh, because over t- everything is about time. Yeah. Whatever, in my journey as an entrepreneur, looking back at 20 years, and I was having a very interesting conversation with my financial advisor two days ago. He said, Dan, every single day you should be so proud of yourself. You did not have what you have today. Mm. In four years ago, he said you did not have them. So time is the compensation. My first house was 46,000 pounds. Yes. Which uh, my wife and I ended up selling for, I think it was about 180,000 pounds back in 2005. From 48 to? Uh, It was from about 93, 94 to 2005. We had made over 120 grand. Uh, So that's probably during that period from the 90s to the uh, 2000s was probably the biggest hike in house prices, mm-hmm. perhaps, except excluding London. The rate of salary or income that majority, pretty much everybody in the country is earning, has been going up like that. But house prices have been going really yeah. up high to a point where my daughter's just turned 21 last week. Uh, so I, I have an 18-year-old son and a 21-year-old daughter. They're going to be looking at getting their own houses at some point imminently but it's almost impossible to get a mortgage at an affordable rate compared to what we did both of us really uh, when we were first getting um, houses mortgages morally for the younger generation who are coming through today to get on the property ladder it feels like house prices need to crash down to be in line with inflation it feels like that needs to happen for the younger generation it's not going to happen but so how do you see it happening this is why i said about time so it's for me in my opinion in my take that's never going to happen property price especially in london for example uh, if if we're thinking about that that means we're saying a house that was sold in 2020 for 450 can crash back to sixty-four thousand pounds. Yeah, it wouldn't happen. That's end of time. Yeah. So that means there's an, there's going to be an amagadon. You and I are not going to exist anymore for that to happen. Yeah. The only thing that needs to happen in order for sustainability to be created is you, as a human being, as a person. You have to learn to bring value to yourself to become someone who can earn more and more on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis. So this is one of the reasons why people now need to create value from the... A time will come, people who are in a standard job will never, ever, ever, ever again be able to own a home. That's for sure. That's where I, that's where I actually see it more likely. So it happens in many parts of Europe where people don't own homes. No. They live in rented accommodation. Yes. And there is usually either corporate or investors, private investors, people, you know, such as yourself, who um, own and maintain the properties. But that's why, that's where the interest rate is going. 
Yeah. Because if you really look at this now, yeah. with the current interest rate, if you earn £50,000, you're never going to be able no. to own a, you're, you're not going to pass affordability. <laughs> so if you look at the people who are buying houses now, are people that understand how to work the debt system. People who understand how to leverage the system. And what do I mean by that? If you know how to raise money and understand the power of leveraging debt to create wealth, those are the only people that are going to end up owning assets because it's going to be corporatized where, for example, you're going to have to rent from the corporate, you know, the corporate yeah. owners. And yeah. that's where the market is going. So people are not going to be able to own houses because why are we in the cost of living crisis? What's happened is the cost of our living has gone up, but our wages has remained the same. Yeah. So because our cost of living has gone up and our wages has remained the same, now the government in China says, okay, let's give you some £2,000 to support you on your gas and electric. Doesn't even scratch the surface. And that's yeah. what's been happening. So until we actually find a way to... It depends. So I think this is an era where more entrepreneurs need to be born. People mm -hmm. need to learn to discover... What more can they do to increase their own living? I come from a third world country like Nigeria. Yeah. The base rate in Nigeria, interest lending, is over 23%. Lending money from the central bank government in Nigeria, which is equivalent to the uh, Bank of England. You're looking yeah. over 23%. All right. In a nation like Nigeria, there's more entrepreneurs creating their own economy rather than actually waiting on the government. And I think that's what's going to start happening. Thank goodness, yeah. like the Brit, I mean, currently, you know, AIs, uh, the Britain is, be, is is one of the first nation now to literally support that industry while every other while every other person is kicking it. Gets technology influencers supporting yeah. it now. So the quicker every person listening to this podcast or other podcasts out there learn to actually start to increase their income, build their own economy and stop waiting for handouts, the better. Yeah. The handouts meaning, oh, the government is going to give me a house to live in. They're giving you a house to live in because they want to keep you small. But if we start leaning, what can we do to bring to the market, to be the greatest version of ourselves so we can earn more money, then that's the only thing that's going to bring these different types of stability, in my opinion, by the way. This is just my opinion. Uh, the I absolutely agree. I swear, um, both from the property perspective and the way that just housing for across the country is heading completely agree uh, i see that being the only way to do to actually sustain it um but also as you've demonstrated yourself um change your life yourself and be and just hold yourself accountable and get and get on and make things happen because it's things to, don't get handed to you you people will be able to quote that one unique edge case example where yeah. somebody just magically became a millionaire that's one person in a population of billions the um you either make it happen or you don't yeah i mean Elon Musk has been celebrated across the globe today so what is the one of the richest man on the planet <laughs> the richest man on the planet so example for him he started at a very young age of having you know, different sort of ideas in his brain. And he started creating things that led to PayPal, eBay, and SpaceX, and all these different things. AI is now that he's championing and also not creating robotic as well. Yeah. So you name it. So every one of us have ideas. We need to find how to bring our ideas to the hands of people that's got money 
And the more we start to listen to our intuitions and have an intention behind it, the more money we can actually earn. I mean, look at this podcast now. We're here yeah. having a chit chat. Podcasts are becoming shows on TVs, right? And I recently got someone approach me to, to be on TV on my podcast. Social media is another way that you can actually, if you've got a good voice, you might want to sing to your mic, post it on social media. It goes somewhere to somewhere. You get discovered. So it is, I think for me, it's a time for, it's a generation, the generation that we are now is a generation where you have to focus on you to become the greatest version of yourself in order to actually increase your own way of living so that whatever the economy throws at you, it doesn't really affect you because you're actively pushing yourself out there. It's not a time to be lazy. It's a time to be more positive. That is fantastic. And that is a really good point, I think, to end on because it is such an important lesson. If anybody takes anything away from here is that Dr. Dan, it's been fantastic speaking to you. It's a great journey, great story, and some you are the epitome of somebody who will continue to push and adapt and push forward all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Drive. I hope you found it insightful and useful. But before I go, have a look at the app you're listening to this podcast on. See that follow button, give it a press and you'll be notified of all future episodes as they come out. It also helps us understand where most of our followers are and where to really be pushing this podcast to.